Some of you have heard this story before. I love this story. Legendary football coach Vince Lombardi for the Green Bay Packers many years, although he won lots of championships, every summer when he would start practices again with his football team to get ready for the season, I'm told would, would stand up with a football and say something like this, gentlemen, this is a football. And these guys have been playing peewee league and stuff like that for years. What was he saying? The most basic thing that we need to always remember is that we can never get past the basics. We've got to keep our eye on the basics. This morning in the message that we do every year, I want to hold up a Bible and say this to you, brothers and sisters. This is a Bible. And what we do with this book is huge. It'll determine whether or not we become the people that the Lord wants us to become. And he really does want us to uh, engage with what he says in this book in ways like maybe we've never considered before. But I want to talk about that this morning. And uh, one of the things I want to just mention to you is there's, I'm very excited. This last couple of services have been totally joy-filled for me to be part of this kind of service because I have seen the difference that this kind of Bible challenge makes each year. And uh, I'll just tell you a couple of stories that I think of as I'm starting this morning. The first is, is that some of you know I have friends outside of our church who don't necessarily know the Lord yet by their own admission. They're not convinced, and it's one of the things that keeps my relationship with Jesus so fresh. I love people that are still on the way. And so uh, one of those friends that I know came to an Easter service a couple years ago. And uh, afterwards, he took time to stay after and talk with me. And he said something, maybe I've shared this before, but I can't get out of my mind. He said, uh, he's over 50 years old, he said, uh, that was the first time, I've, I've been in churches a lot of times, that's the first time anybody ever asked me to open a Bible in church. I kind of thought that was normal, supposed to be normal. But what's happening is, is that that's happening less and less in churches in the United States, and we're certainly susceptible to that happening less and less than ours. It's one of the reasons I, I urge you to bring a Bible or, or pull one out when, when we're here together so that you can take advantage of that. I don't want people having to wait till they're 50 years old before they're invited in a church service to open a Bible. But the second story that stays with me a lot is some of you know that Pastor Brian Schwarber, now some of you got to see Pastor Brian Wilmar earlier, we specifically hired two Brian's just to mess with your heads. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, that's who, who God wanted to be on the team. But So Pastor Brian Schwarberg, who's teaching our kids today in the family services downstairs, uh, some of you know Brian Sarah just went through some really tough stuff in the last month, month and a half. Well, before they ever knew they were gonna, you know, Brian was going to be on staff, they came into uh, Cherry Hill service back when we were at Outer Park, now probably 10 years ago. On, in December, that was when they started coming to Cherry Hills. And, and Brian's told this to me many times, but he said, one of those first weeks that we came, you gave this challenge to read the Bible in the coming year, to read the whole Bible in the coming year. Now, since then, I've, I've changed the challenge somewhat, but now it's to be in the Bible every day. But in that particular year, I asked people, would you consider reading the Bible through this year? 15 minutes a day. And so Brian said that both he and Sarah no one had ever challenged them to do that. So he had never read the whole Bible before. 
And uh, God must have known that he had lots of plans for Brian. Brian would eventually go to seminary. He'd join our staff. And it's amazing to me that this morning he is teaching kids in our church the word of God because it means so much to him. Now, here's what I know. There are some people today, some of you here, one of the reasons I'm excited is you're going to make a decision today, not because of me, but because the Spirit of God is going to encourage you to be in the Bible this year, and you're going to make a decision, and it could well change your life. And it could maybe be one of the most important decisions you've made as a, as a Christ follower. But I'm just excited about that. And let me just mention another thing, and that is that in this next month or two, we're going to launch something called Reveal. Uh, it's, a, it's an outside group that, that helps us through a website for you, many of you, we hope you'll participate, to go online and answer questions about where you are spiritually and how this church interacts with your life. And we're going to ask you to be super honest. Again, no one will know your answers, but they'll gather all that information, and then we'll see whether or not we really are as a church doing what we say almost every Sunday. Are we declaring war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves? That's what we say we believe God's called us to do, is to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves. And one of the things that this Reveal group has learned is that many churches have fallen into creating programs and even offering helpful services, which we definitely want to do to the place that they're no longer challenging the individual members of the church to learn how to feed themselves spiritually Monday through Saturday. In other words, that now a lot of people in the United States, they just come to church, which is a good thing to do, but they kind of rely on the church to help them grow in their faith. They, don't, they ha aren't learning how to grow personally. They aren't learning how to be self-feeders and self-growers. And so our challenge here at Cherry Hills is to think of ways that we can be a church that both corporately and individually, we challenge each other to be people who are growing in the Lord. So if you're following along uh, today, let me just, in fact, since we're talking about the Bible, let me start this way. Would you mind opening your Bible if you brought one? And if you didn't, there's red ones in the seat rack not far away, hopefully, from where you are. If you want to pull that out, we're going to be in 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy is in like the last sixth of the Bible. So if you go halfway and then go near the end, First and Second Timothy are some of the last books of the, of the Bible. So if you get to Revelation, turn left, okay? But Second Timothy 3 is what we're going to primarily look at today as we consider this Bible challenge. And whether you're a brand new Christian, you're still a seeker like some of my friends, or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I'm praying that there will be something in this message for every one of you. Even if you've heard this Bible challenge many years now and it took everything in you to still come today, I'm hoping that you will find that there is something in this message for you, okay? So, but now, let me just mention one more thing about self-feeding. God wants us to grow, and he's going to provide us with the spiritual food we need. But he will not, he will not do our part for us. Does that make sense? Let me explain. In the Old Testament, one of the things he did when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as he led them into the promised land eventually, is he provided something called manna every day for 40 years. Uh, he provided enough for two days on the weekends when there was a Sabbath, so people didn't have to work on the Sabbath, but he provided every day. Now, he provided it, fell on the ground, kind of like the dew, 
and then it would become this wafer-like bread, and they could eat it raw, or they could cook it and stuff like that, and they did that for 40 years. What God wouldn't do is go out and get the manna for them every day. Each morning, they had to go out and pick it up and eat it. And God wants us to do the same thing with his word. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a Bible. So if you're following along in the notes, here's several things I want to say as we set this up this morning. First, if we really do want to fight shallow Christianity, we fight shallow Christianity by loving the Lord and his word. We fight shallow Christianity by loving the Lord and his word. Sometimes during the year, we have our banners hanging up here that we say there's three things we want to get better at as a church that we want to learn how to do. We want to learn how to love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. We want to love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. Well, part of loving the Lord is loving what he says, is loving his words. Now, some of you know that Trish and I, we dated back when there were still dinosaurs walking on the earth. And during those days, there was something called love letters. They actually, you would put a stamp on it, you would mail it, and you would read it later. It was an amazing thing. I know now with the modern technology and, and all kinds of email and texting, that a lot of that's gone away. But I remember when those letters would come in the mail. Now, just think, think about this with me. If those letters came in the mail, when I got them, would you say that I was in love with Trish if I never read them? Would you say I was in love with Trish if I only just, you know, quickly read them and go, oh, that's nice? Or would, would you say there was a love relationship going on when I got those letters that I know I read them carefully, slowly, but I read them a number of times because I wanted to know her heart and know her better through those letters. God has given us his word. Friends, for all practical purposes, this is his love letters to us. This is the way he's communicating his plan, his purpose to us. And there's lots to understand about this, but if we love him, this is one of the ways we fight. There is, okay, so here's the second thing. I know that there's a lot of you here that you think, well, Jeff, it's one thing for you to get a message like this because you're a pastor. You're like an extra credit Christian, right? I mean, you know, like, you know you're, you're paid to be, you know, excited about the Bible. But long before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor, when I first started following Christ, I had some older men that were mentors to me. And one particular man who mentored me, I remember sitting across the restaurant table, he said two things that burned into me I have never forgotten. And those are the next lines in the notes if you're following along. First thing is he says is, Jeff, there's no substitute for being in the Bible every day. If you want to be the real deal, if you really want to be a disciple of Christ and discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, if you want to be the real deal, then there is no substitute for being in the Bible every day. Some of you may say, well, I listen to Christian radio. I highly recommend that. I think it's great. It's one of the ways you can grow in your faith. There's no substitute for being in the Bible every day firsthand. Some of you say, I've got some great worship CDs and I listen to them. I highly recommend that. That helps me too. But there's no substitute for being in the Bible every day first-hander with your own finger on the text, struggling with what God is saying. And that's, he said, there's no substitute. So if you try and be fancy, razzle-dazzle, Mr. Relevant, you'll never, ever become the person you want to be if you're not in the Bible every day. So glad he said that to me. Second thing he said is that you and I, we can't be deeply influenced by that which we do not know. 
Friends, in case you haven't noticed, we have a biblical literacy problem, not just in the United States, in the church. There's tons of us. We don't know the Bible even in a scant way, let alone know it in a way where it's really now having a working dynamic in our lives. And so that's not an easy problem to solve. I admit it. I'm not trying to just harangue that. I'm just saying is, what do we do? If we want to be deeply influenced by the one we say we love, if we want to be deeply influenced by the one we've committed our lives to, there's no shortcuts. There's no other way. We must be people that are being deeply influenced because gradually, day by day, we're coming to know the Lord and his words better. And it takes time, and it takes discipline, and it takes fortitude, but I believe it's in you. And I believe God will honor that if you want to give yourself to him. And I'm so glad I had a mentor that challenged me and said, don't settle, don't settle for shallow Christianity, Jeff. I know you're tempted just like I am. Don't settle for it because you can't be deeply influenced. If you want to be deeper, you got to be willing to do some of these things. So that, that kind of leads to this next thing. And that is, is that if you and I are going to learn how to feed ourselves with the word of God, I want to talk about how practically to do it, why it's so important today. But um, in, in August, I talked about how our mission statement needs to be understood in our daily attitudes. So here's what I said. I said, you know, we say we believe that God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves. But today here in August, what I want to talk about is as we go after that, what really matters even more than what we do is the spirit of our church. See, I don't know about you, but I think lots of people have been to churches and they can tell within five minutes that it's a joke or that it really is only about a few people following Jesus. But at Cherry Hills, we're really trying to say, look, we know there's always going to be people seeking, always going to be people that are hopefully feel welcome in our church, but for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers, what, what would that look like? What kind of attitudes will contribute to the spirit of a church like Jesus wants? And I talked about two attitudes. The two attitudes are hunger and humility. When a church has a core of people who are hungry and humble, truly teachable, friends, you can smell that miles away. And when you walk in, you can tell. And one of the things I love about this church is that I do sense that there is a disproportionate amount of people in this church compared to many places in the United States that are hungry and humble to know God. And because of that, I think he'll honor that. And so I want to talk to you today about how you and I, because can I just be honest with you? If you hear this message today as a call to duty, it'll kill you. It'll crush you eventually. You'll be highly unmotivated. But if you realize, like I do, you know, you know honestly what keeps coming, me, bringing me back to God's word is spiritual hunger. <laughs> I get away from spiritual hunger sometimes, and I get hungry for all kinds of other things. And after I get disappointed with what those things can offer, a lot of times God just says, you're hungry for me, aren't you? And he just brings me back to a hunger for his word again. And sometimes it's that hunger that keeps pulling me forward to say, I'm I'm hungry, God, I thought I was hungry for this, but I'm really hungry for you. And there's other times where I haven't been hungry, but God's just brought me back to this kind of humility that says, God, I think you are smarter than me. I think you know better what, so teach me from your word. Show me how I can learn your ways. And those two attitudes, you and I can choose those. 
And we can learn and we can grow through that. So um, when I was in seminary, and we'll actually look at the text now in just a second, but when I was in seminary, I had a professor stand up one day. Some of you have heard this saying before, and he said this. He said, give me a fish. I think we have it here on the screen. Give me a fish, and I'll eat for a day. Teach me to fish, and I'll eat for a lifetime. What I want to talk to you about today is something that can help you learn how to fish, learn how to feed yourself so that you can grow. After the last service, um, one of the guys that was a junior high kid in the youth group when I was youth pastor here in the 80s was back with his family visiting. Now he's got kids in junior high. And he said to me, he said, uh, I've heard another guy say after that first two and say, teach me how to teach others to fish and we'll change a nation. I thought, wow, that's really true. So we're talking about something here that has incredible dynamic power if we'll take it seriously. So let's pray that Jesus will use this time. Will you join me? Now, Lord, thank you so much. I just detect an openness and a willingness to listen to you right now. I pray you'd honor that. And then let us become a church that more and more, not perfectly, but even when we stumble, to keep pursuing this kind of relationship with you. We're just so glad you've made it possible, Jesus, through what you've accomplished. Bless your name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to ask you to read verse 14 and 16. They're in the gray boxes there on the notes so we can all read off the same translation. Then I'll read verse 15 and 17, but mark your place because I'm going to actually read other parts of this chapter. Okay, let's read verse 14 out loud and together, full voice. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Verse 15, and how from infancy... You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause here. This is an older apostle Paul. He's been walking with Jesus for over 30 years by this time in his life. Most scholars believe this is the last letter he ever wrote. He's writing it to a younger associate named Timothy who's going to carry the baton into the next generation. So Paul, late in his life, is going, I've learned a few things. I've been, all, I've been all out of places. I've gone through a lot of pain to follow Christ. But I want to just tell you, here's what I want you to know. As for you, continue. And also, I want you to know that I know some things about you, how you grew up and stuff like that, so I'm cheering you on. Now, let's read verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, verse 17, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Boy, I got to tell you, those first four words in verse 14 just really hit me this week. He says, and I'm going to talk to you about the context a little bit later. He says, look, the world's going to get crazy. There's going to be all kinds of excuses. Everything inside of you is going to want to cave. But as for you. And here's the line if you're following along in the notes. Continue in what you have become convinced of. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, Timothy. You know, I know you can't decide for the people around you. You can't decide for your mom or dad or your brother or sister. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. I wonder... If someone today needs to hear that word, continue. Sometimes in the Christian life, there are all kinds of decision points where we just go, 
I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. My friends aren't doing this. My family mocks me. I, uh, I, it's hard to do this in a world that's not giving me lots of strokes to do that. And you may just find yourself going, is it worth continuing? But Paul says, as for you, continue. Um, humbly as I can say it, I'm learning some things about walking with Jesus after over 35 years now. And here's one of the things I'm learning. There are some things you and I can never know if we don't continue. There are some things that never happen in people's life unless they continue to do them and the cumulative effect of what can happen after just being faithful and doing that day in, day out. It's amazing. For over 20 years now, I've met on Saturdays with a small group of people that I pray with for these services, for our classes, for our life groups, for what happens on our campus, for what happens beyond our walls, for the ministry we might have in this world. I've prayed with other people about that. And you know, again, that's not like, hey, way to go, Jeff. It's that I realize there's lots of Saturdays where I could do something else. But on those Saturday mornings, as I've prayed, I believe sometimes the cumulative effect of how that's changed me and even changed our church is palpable sometimes. And I can honestly say that there are times when I'm studying the Bible that I might have started out with this attitude like, oh man, I don't know if I want to do this. And about halfway in, it's like God says, aren't you glad you continued? Man, I'm so glad I continued. Continue in what you, Timothy, not me telling you, what you have become convinced of. You know in your gut that this is true. You know, you're convinced of this personally. This isn't just me talking you into it. And it says in verse 15, why? Because you know those from whom you learned it. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, he refers to Eunice and Lois, his grandmother and his mother. And he says, look, ever since you were a little kid, how from infancy, he says in verse 15, you, you learn the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise. In other words, I picture the mother and grandmother holding Timothy, and then when he was a little toddler walking around, teaching him Bible songs, teaching him Bible verses. You, you got to start that way. Your dad wasn't much involved in that, but your mom and grandma were, and I know that about you, and you know that they're real. You know that they became convinced of it, and they shared it with you, and you became convinced of it. Just a few verses before chapter 3, verse 14, he says, you, you know my way of life. You've watched all the suffering I've gone through to be faithful to Christ. You know I'm not blowing smoke. You know. Can I say something? On our college campuses, I thank God for every Christian professor that's trying to be faithful. But there are a lot of Christian professors that are undermining and undercutting the faith of a lot of kids, both in the church and out. And they're telling them this book is not reliable. They're telling them this book has all kinds of flaws. Now, I've taught on this before. I'm certainly no expert on this. But I've learned something. This book is reliable. This book is trustworthy. This book, yeah, it's not always easy to explain or understand. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this book has a ring of authority, friends, like no other book in the world. And again, I'm not saying that for amens as much as I'm saying, are you convinced of that? Because if you're not convinced of it, then everything I say this morning, you're going to have doubts about whether or not you want to invest your life this way. But if at some point in time, you came to become convinced because not only some people that influenced you, but also because of reading it yourself, then you will continue in what you've learned and become convinced. I hope you will. Second thing is the scriptures are able to make you wise. 
That's what he says is part of it is, is the scriptures. They have this power to make you wise for salvation. I love that. Proverbs 9, 9. Have you seen this verse before? I love this verse. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. In other words, there's people that no matter how wise they are, they realize they can always become wiser. They're going to always stay hungry and teachable and hungry and humble. And so, man, he says, these things are able to make you wise for salvation. Sometimes when people hear the word salvation, they think beginner. But I've mentioned this many times. The Bible, when it talks about salvation, it's multifaceted. One time, a little girl went up to a man, kind of suspicious whether or not he was a Christian, and she said, sir, are you saved? And he just humbly looked back at her and he said, young lady, thankfully, I was saved. I am saved. I will be saved. I am being saved. Salvation is such a full thing. And so the whole life, the Christian life, this book can make us wiser and wiser still. And so we need to be in hearing range of God's voice every day. And the third thing is that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. This is the idea I was mentioning earlier. More literally, this means that these words, as hard as it may be for us to understand this, are breathed into by God. They have a ring of authority, if we'll humbly receive them, that can change our lives. They can speak to us. They can go into deep places. As the ladies were singing earlier, Catherine and Nicole, God's word, Hebrews 4.12, is living and active. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It's like a mirror. Sometimes when I'm reading it, I realize I'm not reading the Bible. The Bible's reading me, and it's right on. And there are some times it's not always easy to do that. But how many times God's word is breathed by God is just so powerful. I wonder if you've sensed the ring of authority like I have. So then he says that you may be thoroughly equipped. That's what he says in verse 17. Now, what's he mean? Why do we need to be thoroughly equipped? What's the big deal? Let's say you walk out of here today and say, ah, that was nice, but I don't think he's talking to me. I certainly don't have anything to worry about. I think I'm in good shape. Can I just tell you the context? Context, if you're following along in the notes, is this, is that Paul has just said in the previous verses, dark times are coming. Get ready. Dark times are coming. Why do you and I actually need to make sure we don't waste this time we have here on earth? Because, friends... I don't know if you've seen this before in the scripture, but I want to read these verses to you in chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this and see if you don't see some of this coming true in the world around us. But mark this. Mark this. Pay special note about this. There will be terrible times in the last days. What kind of times, friends? Terrible. Is it going to get easier to live the Christian life? No. So, sorry if I disappointed you. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. In other words, don't make them your close friends because they'll influence you. You, however, verse 10, 
know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endure. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, what's that mean? Where God is at the center and we build our entire lives around him and what he wants. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, even if your mom and dad don't do it, even if your best friend doesn't go with you, even if no one else joins you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Come on, Timothy, don't settle for shallow. Be the real deal. No matter what the winds of change bring, no matter how crazy and wacky the world gets. Friends, after I watched all the stuff on Sandy Hook Elementary School, I remember thinking to myself, we're seeing some of this stuff. And we are in, we are in a dark time, and it's going to probably get darker before Jesus comes back. And the question is, will he find us hungry and humble for what's most important so that we may be thoroughly equipped? So they may be thoroughly equipped. And so, let me just talk about this. First, he says that Scripture can prepare you and me for every good work. Scripture can actually prepare us for good works. When you and I fill our minds with God's Word, it's amazing how different ideas begin to click. Oh, so maybe I could do that with my time today. Maybe God wants me to do this for that person. Maybe I should pray for this person. Oh, I need to forgive that person. I'm holding a grudge. Oh, man. It's just amazing. Scripture can prepare us for every good work. Gets us into the right place, the right spirit. And the third thing in this section is that God uses it to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us. God uses it to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us. Do you see that from verse 16 in that verse just below in the gray box, those four things? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Let me just stop and mention this again. If you and I do not choose to have a humble attitude, then we are probably not going to be excited by words like that. See, I don't know about you, but rebuking, correcting, uh, like go do that with someone else, God. Just give me the good stuff. Just tell me exactly what I want to hear. Make me feel great about myself, but don't, don't challenge me. Don't, don't call me up short. Don't put your finger on something painful that I'm trying to hide or not deal with. Man, so I'm not calling anybody here to Easy Street, nor was Paul. But here's what I want you to see, that if you and I are hungry and humble, then we'll say to him, whatever you need to do to teach me, rebuke me, correct me, train me. I want to learn that. Someone has said that those four words can be understood like this. The Bible, what God does with the Bible, if we're willing, is God uses the Bible to show us what is right, to show us what is not right, to show us how to get right, and to show us how to stay right. To show us what is right, to show us what is not right, to show us how to get right, and to show us how to stay right. Man, I am so thankful. This last year, I read through the Bible again. I'm not saying that's what everybody should do, but that's what I did. I can't tell you how many days I came to a certain section, and it was exactly what God needed to say to me. I was either, you know, straying or I was losing heart 
or I was getting a little bit careless in the turn or whatever it might be, and man, it's just like God's word said, this will help you. Man, it's helped me so many times. And friends, the only reason I even am standing here is because God is faithful. His word is so true and faithful. So the question is, some of you are saying, okay, Jeff, okay, I see the value of this. I see what Paul's saying. Let's say I, I say yes. What would that look like? Yes, but how? Let's get really practical. So I want to do that in our closing minutes. First thing I want to tell you is some people want to know, what Bible do I start with? You know, what Bible do you use here? And when I tell you this, I'm not telling you that this is the only Bible to use. It just happens to be the one that we use almost every Sunday from the front. And it, we use the New International Version. Now, in 2011, they just did some updated stuff. So in case we're reading from the 2011 in the future and you hear something that's a little different, maybe because you have a 1984 version. It's, again, don't be thrown off by that. But I just want you to know we use the New International Version by and large. If people come up to me and they say, I want to buy a Bible for my son or for my grandson or for my mom or my dad, for myself, what do you recommend, Jeff? Here's what I recommend. I recommend the Life Application Bible in either the New Living Translation or the Life Application Bible in the New International Version. So let's go back to that New Living first. The Life Application Bible in the New Living Translation. This is one of the most readable understandable Bibles. I've seen so many people in our church just flourish when they finally found a Bible that was understandable and they could just read it and, and go. That's like real English right there. That helps. And then others, the Life Application Bible in the New International Version. Why do I like this so much? The Life Application Bible is just a packaging around the Bible with notes, with uh, you know, different biographies of different characters in the Bible, maps, sidebars. It's just a lot of helpful stuff that makes you go, okay, this is helping me understand the Bible more. I highly recommend it, okay? Second question is, once you've got a Bible, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we just say, take one of those red ones home with you. We want you to have your own Bible, especially as you start 2013. We'll replace it. But here's the next question is, if you're following along in the notes, how do I do this, okay? Here's my best shot. You and I, at some point, need to have a daily plan and prayerfully choose a portion size. We need to have a daily plan and choose a portion size. Why is that so important? I don't know what you're like. Some of you think, well, you're a pastor, so you have to read the Bible every day, study it for things, and that's true. But if I'm going to be a growing Christian, I realize that I need to follow Christ apart from that stuff. I need to make sure I'm feeding myself spiritually and growing. So a few years ago when I was a youth pastor, I, even though I was every day at a church and all this kind of stuff, I started noticing that I would go weeks without ever reading the Bible when I didn't have to for a lesson. I remember thinking to myself, something's not right. There's something wrong with the spiritual hunger in my life. But I noticed that it was like hit or miss. And so finally, I just needed to admit that I needed at least some basic structure so that every day I would know what I was going to be reading. And I had to do the hard work of selecting what would be the right portion size after praying with the Lord. Over the years, what I've found that's helped me is the one-year Bible, where I read a portion of the Old Testament, New Testament, the Psalm and Proverb every day. There's what they call the one-year Bibles. I've got copies out on the ministry center shelf there, if you ever wanted to look at that, where it's already laid out for you on the date. You just read that day's date. If you miss a day or two, you just catch up. That's what I do when I miss a day or two. But again, that's one idea. Some of you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a mom with little kids. There is like no way I can probably make that through and sustain that. Understandable. Maybe this year it would help you just to read the New Testament or 
maybe just one verse a day. But there are plans out there. The idea is not to get all the way through the Bible, but for the Bible to get all the way through me. And when that starts happening, friends, it starts to have a deep influencing impact when we open up that way. Now, here's two things that have helped me find plans, because some of you are going, okay, like where would I find these plans? I will mention this. I don't know if there's any left, but this is an old-fashioned, all the way back from Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s. A guy named Robert Murray McShane shared with his congregation uh, readings for both uh, the family and privately uh, secret to read, and you could read through the Bible in one year. I put some of those plans out there. They look like this blue. I don't know if there's any left, but they'd be at the ministry center place. But if you're looking for plans online, here's the two websites I would take you to. The first one, I use this every week when I plan messages, is BibleGateway.com. Now again, Pastor Lee and Pastor Steve, Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, they use different ones. But I'm just saying is, is that this one's one I, I find very helpful. Sometimes with BibleGateway.com, I can compare six different translations of one verse. That's been super helpful for me. And you can do that, but it also has a whole section on plans. So you could do... Uh, I've met some people, they're just going to read the Old Testament this year. Some people are going to read the New Testament. Some people are going to read one book of the Bible. Some people are just going to try and think about 52 verses this year, one a week, and think about it every day for a week. Whatever it might be, there's different plans on there. I was blown away. The other one is you version. Since I first started doing these messages, man have times changed. Something that, and some of you walked in with your tablets today. Your tablet is your Bible now. Some of you use your smartphones as the Bible and stuff like that. It's just an incredible time to be alive. I send out Bible verses to friends every week by text, every, uh, you know, Monday through Friday, and I use version a lot of times to just think about what verse to send out. When I do that, and by the way, that's something you can do if you want to encourage somebody else in your friendship or church, you could just send a text of one verse. We can encourage each other that way. But these two apps... If you go to BibleGateway.com uh, under the Android or iPhone app store, you can find it, uh, Bible Gateway by Zondervan and Version. those two. Are there other ones? Absolutely. The main thing is, will you take responsibility to set a plan and to feed yourself with the Word of God this year? That's the main thing, okay? Whatever it might be, and yours might be completely different than mine. Some people will ask me from time to time, Jeff and Trish and I were talking about this last night. Jeff, are there fireworks every time you read the Bible? No. You know, there's honestly some days when I read the Bible, nothing amazing hits me, nothing goes, wow, like that. And I just finish, and I go, Lord, you know that I'm trying to stay in hearing range of your voice. No fireworks today, but I believe that by continuing, and what I've become convinced of, that somehow you'll use this to feed me and, and to just remind me of things. And I'm just going to ask you somehow, Lord, just use me following you this way. And I just trust him with that. You know, sometimes all God really wants from us is faithfulness. And I just, I found that very helpful. Other times people will say, Jeff, do you ever get behind when you pick a plan? Yes. Sometimes several days. Well, what do you do? I continue in what I've learned and become convinced of. And I'll just catch up. I don't beat myself up. I don't go, you sub-spiritual follower of Christ. I mean, that's not helpful. The truth is, is am I still hungry? Am I still wanting to be humble before God? Does that make sense? So I just, I hope no one feels like, oh my goodness, I'm asking you to do this, and if you miss one day, no, I'm saying, would you try and feed yourself? Would you try and grow some more in this this year? 
Here's, here's the goal, if you're following along the notes. The goal is to be deeply influenced by God's word. The goal is to be deeply influenced by God's word. So, again, I'm not suggesting here that you just read the Bible every day as some kind of, you know, check it off your list. When you read your Bible, how do you read it in such a way that it can deeply influence you? I got three ideas on this. You may want to turn your notes over, write these ideas down. Here's the first one on the screen. A man in our church that's been an elder, Dennis Kennedy, shared this with me years ago. I think it comes from Navigators. He used to share this with our students when he was teaching us. As you read, ask yourself questions like this. Is there a promise to claim? Again, you may want to write these down. Is there a promise to claim as I'm reading this? Is there a command to obey? Is God saying something very specifically to me that I need to, to heed? Is there a sin to forsake? You know, sometimes I'm reading along and God points, he puts his finger on something that I didn't even know was a sin or I didn't even think was wrong and he just makes it clear to me. Other times, there's something that I may be doing in my life, either in a chronic or ongoing way. I know it's a sin. It's just that I won't forsake it. And sometimes when I'm reading, he's saying, will you forsake? Is there a sin to forsake? Is there a direction to take? Oh man, so many times it's been helpful that sometimes people have said, I read that this morning and God showed me how to treat my fellow coworker differently. It was direction to take. Some of you, is there an example to follow? How many of us have been encouraged by Daniel, Joseph in the Old Testament, Esther, Ruth, different people's example like that? Is there an attribute of God to praise? Oh man, there's been days where I've been reading and I've gone, oh God, I so... I'm not always true, but you're true. I'm not always righteous, but you're righteous. I'm not always merciful or patient, but you are. And that may be helpful. So these questions, we'll keep these up for just a couple more moments. But while, while they're staying up, let me, can I give you a second idea? I've mentioned this one before, but some of you have said it's helpful. And I don't have this on the screen. But if you write the letters S-O-A-P on top of each other with S on top and P on the bottom, then here's what it means. The SOAP method of studying the Bible is that when you're studying you may come across a certain Bible verse that just jumps out at you. So at that point, write that verse out in your own hand. It may be a sentence or two, but write the scripture out. S stands for scripture. O stands for observation. In other words, once you write that scripture out, just look at it for a time and say, Lord, what, what is the, do I need to observe or notice about this verse? What questions do I have? Or maybe even what, what bothers me about this? Or what challenges me about this? What blesses me about this? And then write that observation or just take time to observe. Third thing for the A is application. Now that I'm observing this, now that you're pointing it out to me, what do I need to do today as a result of seeing this? How do I apply it to my everyday life and not just let it become head knowledge? And for the last letter, P, is the word pray. Turn it into a prayer. Say, Lord, this verse stood out to me today, and I now want to pray that not only I can apply it in my life, but you'll help me understand it better. Amen. And some people have used the soap method. I know of a church in Hawaii. The entire church has been trained in this. They do this every day, 365 days a year. It's changed their church. The last one is one that I've learned from people in Africa, and that's just that whenever you're reading a section, just to start by praying this prayer. You, in fact, Psalm 119. 19 verse 18. Do we have that, Sarah? Psalm 119 verse 18. Did everybody get a chance, hopefully, to write that down? I hope I didn't make anybody go, ah! Oh. Okay, here we go. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. Open my eyes that I might see things, God, as I read your word. And that little prayer starts, and then as you're reading, 
here's what, again, some of my African brothers and sisters have said. Read until something stops you. Notice while you're reading, all of a sudden you may come across something and you go, ah, just stop and say, God, what do you want me to notice about that verse? What do you want me to notice about this section? So again, those are just some ideas. I hope this is helpful. I really hope that you'll find this beneficial when no one's around. There may be no fireworks some days. You may find yourself losing heart. I hope that you'll find yourself cheered on to continue. But here's the last question that you can turn into a prayer, a resolve, if you're willing. And that is, as for me, I will fight to be in his word every day in 2013. You notice the word I use? I will fight. Isn't this supposed to be easy? Why is this so challenging sometimes? Do other people find this as challenging as much of a fight as I do? Yes. This is not just, we don't just float into, we don't, we're not going to float into or drift into deeper relationship with Jesus. We're not, friends. We need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, the Bible says. We need to train ourselves. And these are some of the, the graces, the practices that we can do that with. As we close, let me just tell you how I picture this playing out. Some of you today, what this means is for you to go home and get online or go home and get in your car and drive to Family Christian, Barnes and Noble, and to buy a Bible or to buy a, find a plan. It may cost you no money. And then starting, I mean, it's totally legal to start on the 31st tomorrow, by the way. But for sure, if you'd be ready to start on the 1st of January and just see where this takes you. See where it goes. If you have questions throughout the year, I know us pastors and teachers, Sunday school teachers, we'd be glad to try and wrestle with those questions with you. It's a sign that you're growing, by the way, if you have questions, not a sign that there's something wrong with you. I have questions too. But this year, I picture you doing that or getting online and saying, oh Lord, help me have a plan, choose a portion size, show me how to do this. I feel so intimidated or so, you know, I know I'm nothing like some of the Christians I know. Don't get caught up in that comparing game, friends. Just be who you are. But as for you, but as for you, not the person next to you, what are you going to choose? I, I know you can do this. And I cheer you on. So let me pray. And then we're going to sing. Now, Lord, I love this church. It really is a sweet time to be together with our church family and our guests this morning. I thank you for the spirit of so many people in this church. I know sometimes, God, that the Bible has made me more self-righteous and proud, so I know it's possible to have the wrong attitudes when we read. I just pray, Lord, you'll help us to stay hungry and to stay humble before you because you give grace to the humble. Bless your name. Help each person know how to apply this today. Amen.